Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. Happy Easter. We are celebrating the fact that Jesus died. And that sounds weird to say we're celebrating the fact that he died. But the reason we celebrate it is because it was promised. He knew it was coming. He did it willingly. And he rose again. He rose again. Praise the Lord for Easter. I would like to just look at the seven things that Jesus said on the cross. He was hanging on the cross for six hours. And in those six hours, he only made seven statements. The excruciating pain that he was going through, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually while he was doing warfare, dying for the sins of the whole human race. He said seven things, and they are significant and beautiful things, and they may surprise you. So the first thing was, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. This was in Luke 23, verse 33. It says, when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. Now, crucifixion was a Roman method of execution where they would nail a person to a cross. The pain of the nails and the beating and and the scourging was extreme but also they had to pull themselves up to breathe on the the wounded feet and hands and so it was extremely painful and torturous to have to pull yourself up for every single breath it says they crucified him and the criminals one on the right and the other on the left jesus was crucified in a public place with other criminals who had committed crimes verse 34 then jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they do and they divided his garments and cast lots. This shows us that Jesus knew the reason he was doing this was for forgiveness. Now, why is forgiveness important? Because we need to get past sins and offenses. All of us have committed sins, and all of us have had people do wrong things against us. And unless we can get past those things, bitterness and Uh, just antagonism builds up and accumulates and accumulates until we can have no relationships. We can't work together. We are consumed with bitterness and resentment and we cannot function in life. But forgiveness brings a washing and a cleansing and enables us to move forward. The amazing thing is that none of us is qualified to forgive anybody else. We can say, I no longer hold a grudge against you, but only God can say this sin, this offense has been wiped out. And Jesus was doing it. He was coming as God, but as a man to represent both God and man and to pay for the sins of the world. Forgiveness. The illustration that I love is of a judge sitting in a courtroom and the accused person is found guilty and the judge says you are guilty you have committed this offense the evidence is there this is true you deserve to pay this fine or do this prison sentence but then the judge pays the price himself so justice and love have been fully fulfilled in one act justice because the judge has said yes that is wrong We're not just pretending it never happened. There is justice, but there is also mercy and love because the judge says, I will pay it 
myself. I will pay the price on your behalf. And that's exactly what God did. He became a man, Jesus, and he said, I will pay this price. There is justice because it was wrong, but I will pay the price. Father, forgive them. I wonder if you have received forgiveness from other people, if you've forgiven yourself. Maybe you've struggled to forgive people who've hurt you. Friend, look to Jesus because he brings a divine aspect to this whole question. He shines God's light and God's power, God's truth, God's love. No longer is it within my own feelings and offenses, but I'm saying, what does God say? And God says, I have paid the price. I give you forgiveness if you ask for it, but also I enable you to pass it on. Father, forgive them. Jesus set the context. He set the stage. He said, this is what it's all about. Forgive them. And he says, for they do not know what they do. He was making excuses for them when they didn't deserve an excuse. And that is mercy. So there is the justice aspect of him dying for our sins. But then there is the mercy aspect of him trying to help us through this process. If we receive God's forgiveness, we pass it on in the same way. The next thing he said was, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, this is very interesting. As we've read, Jesus was crucified with two other criminals, one on either side of him. And in Luke 23, 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is the second saying of Jesus on the cross, but the second important aspect of what he was doing, he was making a way for us to get into heaven. The Bible says during this time that he was on the cross, the temple curtain was torn into from top to bottom. There was a thick curtain that prevented people from getting into the holiest place in the temple where God's presence dwelt. And only the high priest could go in once a year into God's presence. And that temple was torn into because Jesus was making a way for you and I, for normal, ordinary, sinful people to be forgiven and get into God's presence and spend eternity with him. You know, God created heaven for the human race. He never planned for anyone to go to hell. Uh, Jesus talks about hell as the place that was prepared for the devil. And God wants people to be saved. We're told in several places in the Bible that God does not want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance and to know him. Heaven is what it's all about. Jesus wants to spend eternity with us. This life on earth is a few years, but eternity, that is what it's all about. That is the big deal, the main prize. And God wants you and me in heaven. Now, this criminal on the cross argued with the other criminal because the other criminal was doing what human beings do. They love to point fingers. They love to blame. They love to mock and malign and say mistruths. But this criminal said, no, we are guilty. We, we have done wrong. We deserve this punishment. But he hasn't. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord. He was recognizing Jesus's 
divinity. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, heaven. You are the king. And Jesus said an amazing thing. Today you will be with me in paradise. A couple of important points for you and for me to understand from this. Other than the fact that Jesus is thinking about heaven while he's on the cross, the two important points are, number one, you don't get into heaven by being good because this criminal did nothing good. He had lived a life of crime. His whole life was a life of crime, of not serving God. And it was at the very, very last moment of his life when he was nailed to a cross and he could do no good works that he cried out to God. He recognized who Jesus was and what he was doing and he asked him to save him and he was saved. You and I are not saved by being good. No one can be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus' death on the cross is enough. And if we cry out to him, even in our last breaths, he will save us. Isn't that beautiful? The second point that I find beautiful and interesting from this is that Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, this is part of a much bigger topic and conversation about eternity and the nature of eternity. We as human beings live in a world that is governed by the laws of nature and the laws of physics. And one of those laws says that time always moves forwards. Click, 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 click. The, the ticking tock of time will never, ever, ever stop. It just goes regularly forwards and we are bound by time. But in eternity, there is no time. God calls himself, I am, not I was or I will be. He is in the eternal present. And when we die, we are immediately taken into eternity. Now, if we don't know Jesus yet, we face judgment and we are separated from God for eternity. If we know Jesus, we go to judgment day and he says, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. But it's immediate. It's today. Paul said, I would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, and, and so we see this, this idea of being able to know that there are people who we love, who have died, who have immediately, even though Judgment Day is at the end of time, they have immediately gone into eternity. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise, because in heaven and in eternity there is no time. That is beautiful and that is important. And there is a huge topic that we could discuss about this. We've done other talks about this and I encourage you to look it up because the reason it's important is because your spirit, the, the very middle of you, the Bible says you can be seated in heavenly places even while you're here on earth. Uh, Hebrews 12 says we have come to heaven, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the spirits of just men made perfect. God can put heaven in your heart even today. In Luke 17, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And so we can experience part of heaven today and when we die, immediately go to heaven. But this whole idea of having to wait years and years and years to get to heaven, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' whole mission was to show people the kingdom of heaven is here I'll heal the sick, I'll raise the dead, I'll cast out demons. God wants you to start to think and to live and to experience heavenly life while here on earth, but then the full experience happens after we die. Heaven. The second saying is about heaven. Friend, 
how you're doing with forgiveness and how you're doing with heaven. Are you thinking heavenly thoughts? And are you realizing that God has such a, a desire for you to be with him and to be in his presence forever? The third saying is a beautiful one. It's about family. In John 19, 26, it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. So John was Jesus's cousin or relative of some sort. And his mother Mary was there and they were standing in front of the cross. And Jesus immediately starts thinking about family and care and uniting people with other people. And it's not just blood relatives. He's thinking about the family of God. He's thinking about the church and the family of God. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus made an amazing statement. He said, if you have left lands or homes, let me read it to you. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says sometimes when you become a believer, you give up possessions or relationships because people don't want to be associated with you anymore. But he says you will receive new ones a hundredfold in this life. What did he mean by that? He meant there is a family aspect in the body of Christ. The church becomes your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your your uncles, whatever it is, your children. And there is also everybody's possessions get shared with you. Maybe not legally, but you can go and stay in family members' houses. You can move to a country across the world and there'll be other Christians who will love you, who will take you and give you meals, look after you. Because Jesus instituted a family on the cross. He was thinking not just about forgiveness, not just about heaven, but about a family. Mother, this is now your son. Son, this is now your mother. Let's make a family. Friend, Jesus was thinking about your forgiveness and about your eternity in heaven, but he was also thinking about you being in a church family when he died on the cross. He died so that you could have brothers, mothers, sisters, all these different things. He wants you to be united in a family. And it's so important to him that of the seven things he says while he is gasping for breath on the cross, one of them is family. How are you doing with the family of God? Now, I have spoken to people who've been hurt by other Christians, hurt by the church, and as a result, they've withdrawn. Can I just say to you that there is no perfect church and that other Christians are imperfect just as you are and just as I am. And we need to get past that and say, I want to relate to people. I want to forgive. I want to overlook or work through things, but I must relate to other Christians. I cannot be an isolated little coal out of the fire because then I will go out. How are you doing with family, my dear friend? Jesus was thinking about it. The next saying, the fourth one that Jesus said is an interesting one. In Matthew 27, it says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What a strange saying. 
<laughs> in the midst of the suffering, the pain, the anguish, the turmoil, people hurling insults at him. The Bible says the sky went dark for three hours. There was an earthquake. There was all sorts of things happening when Jesus was on the cross and, and when he was going through this intense suffering. And he said a statement in a foreign language to us. Now, Jesus probably spoke a foreign language all the time, but Matthew and Mark both record this in the foreign language. So let's first look at what that statement is. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Matthew and Mark both translated into Greek so that we know what he was saying. But that little phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is a direct quote from Psalm 22. Now, Psalms were written a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. And in Psalm 22, it says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and, my cloth and for my clothing they cast lots. Jesus was quoting the first line of Psalm 22. The first reason we have this in a foreign language is because it's a signpost. It's a flashing light saying this wasn't just a saying that Jesus was saying. He was referring to something in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. Psalm 22, go and have a look at it. It predicts crucifixion before crucifixion existed. And it describes exactly what Jesus was going through. This wasn't just a random act of history where a nation decided to kill another man. No, this was prophesied and planned, and it's part of God's big plan. Jesus knew it. He said, I'm quoting Psalm 22. I'm telling you this because something important is happening here. And the Bible says, uh, well, experts have said that there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Some say as many as 400 different prophecies and the, the probability of one man fulfilling just a handful of those prophecies is so unlikely. It's much uh, more likely that you would win the lottery than that Jesus could have fulfilled all these prophecies. Just even Psalm 22, the, the description of crucifixion, Jesus fulfilled it exactly. And it tells me that God has a bigger plan and this was a momentous event. And so I want to encourage you, it wasn't outside of God's plan. God knew what was going to happen, and he was working a plan. The second reason, it's in a foreign language. Um, and Matthew and Mark, Mark says the Aramaic version, and Matthew says the Hebrew version. And it's because there was something significant there. In the Old Testament, Psalm 22, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it uses a word, Abatani. Uh, but Jesus said Shabaktani or Zabaktani. And it's, it's a play on words. And it's, experts need to look at this and tell you exactly what was going on. But Jesus was saying, 
Azaftani means, why have you forsaken me? Sharaktani, which is the Aramaic, means, why have you left me alone? And it might be, that seems to be what Mark is saying. You know, Mark and Matthew couldn't quite hear, or whoever was there couldn't quite hear. Was he saying Eli or Eloi? And so Mark says Eloi, Matthew says Eli. Was he saying Shabaktani, which is Aramaic, which means, why have you left me alone? Or uh, Matthew might be saying Sabaktani, which is Hebrew, which means, why have you sacrificed me? There's important details in here that show that it's part of a plan. And Jesus was thinking clearly and lucidly. He was saying words. He didn't say Azavtani, which is what Psalm 22 says. He said Sabaktani, which means sacrificed or left alone. And it's important stuff. But Jesus knew he was fulfilling a prophecy. Right. Number five. Jesus said, I thirst, John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. He was showing that he was a human. Even though he was God in the flesh, even though he was God Almighty, he still had all the weaknesses and temptations and needs of a human. And he felt every cut, every blow, every nail, every pain, including the emotional pain, but also the physical. He said, I thirst. He was showing us he is a human and he paid for your sins and mine and the pain that we go through as humans. He completely identifies with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The sixth saying was, it is finished. In John 19.30, it says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. This is a Greek word, tetelestai, which is what they would stamp or write on invoices when they were paid. It means paid in full. Jesus said it is paid in full. It is finished. I have fully paid for the sins, for the penalties, for, for the suffering caused by the sin of every human being throughout all of history. I have done it. I didn't deserve to be punished, but I've paid the price. It is paid in full. Tetelestai, completely finished. It is finished. Friend, Jesus has paid for your sins. There's nothing you can do to add to the payment that Jesus made for your guilt, for your sin, for your offenses, for your weaknesses. There is nothing you can do. You can't be um, religious to try and add to Jesus' sacrifice for your sins because it's paid in full. It is finished. He didn't say it is almost finished. There's just a little bit of extra that you have to do. He said it is fully paid, fully done. And I encourage you to rest in that. When you feel guilty, when you feel, oh, maybe I haven't done enough. Maybe I, I'm being punished because of something wrong I've done. No, no. Remember, Jesus said it is finished. It is paid. He has done enough. And God is fully satisfied with his sacrifice. How do we know that God was satisfied? Because he raised Jesus up on the third day to say, yes, I've accepted this. It is completely done. And then the last saying of Jesus are you following these important sayings? Are you imagining his suffering, the crowds, the dark skies, the temple veil being torn in two? In Luke, Luke 23, 44, it says, Now it was about the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There is unity again. Previously, Jesus had said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
That was the only time in his life that he referred to God as God. Every other time it was Father. Because when he was separated from God because of sin, when he was taking the penalty of our sin, he was separated from God. But now it is finished. And now he says, Father, again, into your hands I commit my spirit. There is intimacy. There is love. And what he was doing here is he was giving us a pattern. We need to go through these seven steps. We need to realize I need forgiveness. So, so let's just look at them. He says, first of all, forgive me. We need to realize I need forgiveness. And then he says, paradise, heaven. I re- need to realize God wants to be with me. and I need heaven. Then he says, family, behold your mother, behold your son. I need to realize I need a family as I grow as a Christian. Then he says, why have you forsaken me? I need to study the Old Testament, the New Testament. I need to understand how Jesus fits into it. And I need to grow as a Christian. And then he says, um, I thirst. We need to understand that as humans, Jesus went through it to show us a pattern of how to live, how to respond to people, how to behave for him. Uh, Then he says, it is finished. It is fully paid. We need to rest in his work and realize I can't add to it. And then lastly, we need to say, Father, into your hands, Father, Daddy, Abba, I want to be close to you, Lord. I want to talk to you every day. I want to commit myself to you, but I want to have this ongoing relationship with you. And the great news is it didn't stop there. If we go through these seven sayings like Jesus did and we understand what he's done for us and we commit ourselves to God, he rose again on the third day. We have new life. And we are promised eternal life and nothing can ever be stronger than God in our lives because he overcame death. And he says that same power that raised Christ from the dead will live within you. Father, I thank you for Easter. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. I thank you for what you went through. And I thank you for these seven sayings that show what was on your mind, what's important to you, but also give us a roadmap and a pattern to follow. Lord Jesus, we need your forgiveness. We need heaven. We need your family. We need your help as a pattern for life. We need intimacy with you. Please, would you forgive us now? Wash us clean and bring us into that close relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that many who are hearing my voice today would find you and come to love you and be close to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed with me or if you would like to know any more, please look us up on leadinglightsnetwork.com. We love you. God bless you this Easter. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.